Well, I don't know which category you fall in, especially when it comes to the new year, uh, but it seems like around the new year, you have different categories of people. You have some people who are so excited about the new year. You're like, man, I love to think of resolutions. I love to think of goals. Yeah, I love to think of my word for the year. Maybe you're one of those people where you had 15 different words for the year that you were trying to narrow it down. And you just love and you just get so much excitement and life from thinking of goals and thinking of, man, the new year, the calendar changes. It's exciting. And, and that's one group of people. There's another group of people where we are just a week into the new year and you are tired of hearing about resolutions. You're tired of hearing about goals. You don't want one more person to tell you their word for the year. You're just done. You don't want to hear anything about it because you're a little pessimistic and you think no one's going to get, follow through on their resolutions. And come February, you're still going to be in the same place that you were. And then there's another group of people where you're just looking at life and you're like, you know what? 2025 is going to be my year. You know what? I'm just giving up on 2024. 2025 is going to be my year. I was talking to someone this past week, and I said, hey, like, are you all ready? And he was like, man, next year. Just next year, Josh. I'm putting it off until next year. And I don't know where you fall, but each one of us, when it comes to the new year or, you know, resolutions, goals, words, and all those things, really at the end of the day, we really want what the name of this series is, is to win at life. I mean, it's why we listen to any podcast. It's why we watch any, you know, show that, that's in, informational. It's why we read any book. It's why we go to school. We want to grow in our career. We want to grow in our finances. We want to grow in our relationships. And we want to grow in our relationship with God. But here's the thing about winning at life. Is that most of us, if I were to sit across the table from you at coffee, and if we were just sitting there, and we're having a great cup of coffee, and I say, hey, what does it mean to you to win at life? Most of us don't really have a definition of that. We look at the people around us and we think, well, they must be winning at life for that person over there who has more money than I do or that person's marriage seems to be clicking along. So obviously that's winning at life. But what does it mean to actually win at life? And so over the next several weeks, we're going to try to unpack and really get to this idea of when God says to win at life, what does that look like? I'll give you a simple example how we get kind of off track on this. So one of my favorite things to do is to go to the gym. And I go to this gym uh, in Pawtucket, which is uh, filled with bodybuilders and powerlifters. There are guys there and, and girls who are trying to break world records. There's people there who are trying to break the 1,000-pound deadlift. And so they're doing all kinds uh, of competitions. There's people who are at the gym six days a week, you know, for hours at a time. And I was talking recently to one of the guys who's really into competitions. And he says, hey, like, you're here all the time. Like, you're in shape. Why don't you do any of the competitions? Now, here's the thing. At the end of the day, would it be cool to be able to deadlift 600 pounds? That would be a cool thing to say. That would be a cool thing to be able to post on Instagram and to tell all my friends so I could get all my, like, teenage son's friends together and be like, hey, guys, guess what? I deadlift 600 pounds. Like, that would be cool to say. But I looked at him and I said, honestly, that's not really one of my goals. Now, here's the thing. As I reflected on it on the way home, for that guy, as he's going to all these competitions and watching what he eats and how much he sleeps and making sure he's doing his cold plunge and his sauna and infrared, you know, and all these different things, for him, winning at life has to do with competitions, has to do with winning and achievement. Now, is that wrong? No, not at all. But the problem is, as we talk about making all of these goals and moving into the new year, most of us are not actually sure what we're trying to go after. 
Most of us, if we sat down and said, okay, what is it that I want December of 2024 to look like? Most of us don't have a clear answer on that. Most of us aren't sure of what that would even look like to win at life. And so what happens then is we kind of aimlessly walk through life and just hope it gets better. Hope we stumble upon something. And so as we start this new year, we want to really get to this place of understanding what it means to win at life. Because here's one of the greatest tragedies that I think happens, is we end up going after either goals that other people give to us that aren't really ours, or we end up going after what other people are going after, which are not things that we really want. And so at the end of this series, if we do this right, we will begin to see what it is that God is calling us to individually, as families, as couples, and as a church as we move into this new year. Now, to help us set the tone, we're going to be walking through one of my favorite books of the Bible in 2 Timothy. Now, if you were with us in the fall, you know that we walk through the book of 1 Timothy. Now, here's kind of the stage that, that is so important. Now, you have the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is this older, you know, pastor and leader and church planter. He's planted churches all over the known world in the first century. He writes roughly two-thirds of the New Testament. I mean, Paul is one of those guys that just gets stuff done. I mean, he goes into countless cities and, and countless towns, and he gets churches started, and, and he causes riots, and he preaches all over the place. And he is somebody that people know. He's a big shadow. And when he plants this church in the city of Ephesus, after leaving, he sends Timothy who is somebody he's mentored, somebody that he's brought up. And maybe for you, maybe you can think of this relationship in your own life of a parent or a pastor or a coach or a teacher who has just mentored you and just raised you up and called things out of you that you didn't know were there. That's what Paul does with Timothy. Now, in 1 Timothy, when he writes the letter, he tells him, this is how you lead a church. This is how you bring the, the people of God together, the family of God together. This is what it looks like to be a healthy leader in a church context. This is what it looks like to be a healthy leader in the business world. And so we looked at all of these different things. But 2 Timothy is different. In 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul is now at the end of his life. And we know that 2 Timothy is the last letter that Paul will write in Scripture. Paul is sitting in a jail cell. And I want you to picture this as he's sitting in this jail cell. Now, when we think of a jail cell, we think of, you know, TV shows with maximum security prisons and, you know, locks coming through and, you know, there, there's TVs and there's, you know, tables and stuff. That's not at all what a jail cell is in the first century. In the first century, a jail cell is dark, it's damp, you're all alone. It's not the job of the jailers to make sure that you have clothes or a blanket or food or water. That's not their job at all. You are completely dependent on people outside of the jail to make sure that you are fed and taken care of. And in this place, Paul writes this letter to Timothy. Now, here's why I say all that. Because this makes this letter, I think this elevates for us what Paul is saying. Of all the things that Paul could have done in this moment, one of the things that he feels compelled to do through the Holy Spirit is to write a letter to Timothy. And he writes to him really to say, Timothy, this is all the things that I think about life. This is everything that as I'm at the end of my life, he is staring death down. And he says, these are the things you need to know. And so as we go through this series, I mean, it is just 
chock full of things for us to know this is how you win at life. Now, they're going to surprise us because he's going to get into how do we handle loneliness as we get older? What do we do with people who abandon us and walk away? What role does Scripture play in our lives? How do we have focus and courage? And at the beginning of it, he tells Timothy how we uncover and tap into the power of God to make sure that we win at life. And so this is what he says at the very beginning of chapter one. Uh, Jenna read it earlier. This is verse one of 2 Timothy. He says, Paul, so he identifies himself. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now I want you to picture this for a moment. If you're Timothy and you get this letter, I want you to picture just the feeling that he would have of this letter. I don't know if he got it and, and Paul lived on. I don't know, you know, we don't, we're not really sure like when he got it in relation to Paul's death. But I want you to imagine the feeling of getting this letter, this last like will and testament of him saying, this is what I want you to know. Like for our kids, one of the practices that I do each year is I write a letter to them each year and I give it to them on their 18th birthday. I give them 18 letters that really chronicle their life to say, this is what I saw in you. This is what happened in our family. This is character traits that I saw grow up in you. These are things that I want to just try to call out of you because sometimes we need people to call out of us. And he says, Timothy, you are my dearly loved son. And I bet you when Timothy read this, he's like, I just want to sit with Paul. I'm sure he's just thinking, I just want to sit face to face with Paul and talk about this. And maybe this brings us just this reminder of the importance of relationships, the importance of people who have poured into us, that maybe there's somebody in your life that you're like, you know, I've lost touch with that person, and, you know, we used to be really close, and they meant a lot to me, and they poured into me, and you know what? I need to reach out to them and just say, hey, like, I want to stay connected to you. I I know this past year, one of the things I've started to do uh, with different friends around the country is just you know, talk with them and connect with them over Marco Polo and just trying to stay connected and just trying to really build into relationships and community across distances because they just matter. And he says to him in verse three, he says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did. When I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced is in you also. And he says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience. Now I want you to think about this. Here's Paul at the end of his life. And he says, I have a clear conscience. At the very end of 2 Timothy, he's going to come back around and he's going to say, I have run the race, I have kept the faith, I have left it all on the field. When he says, I have a clear conscience, he says, I have, I have no regrets. I want you to imagine this for a moment. Imagine getting to the end of your life and saying, I have a clear conscience about how I lived. I have a clear conscience about how my life turned out. I have a clear conscience about the decisions that I made. I mean, I don't know about you, But I feel like it's hard to go through each day and not have regrets. And here is Paul, and this is why I think it's so important as we go through this letter to go, okay, Paul, what do you know that I don't know? What do you know that I need to hear? Because imagine if you got to the end of 2024 and said, 
I have a clear conscience. I have served God. I have done everything that God has called me to, to the best of my ability. When I felt like the Holy Spirit was, was pulling at me and speaking to me, I, I tried to move when he said so. Imagine getting to the end of this year and saying, I have a clear conscience. Can you imagine the power of what your year would look like if that happened? And here's Paul sitting in this jail cell. And when you're in a jail cell, I mean, and you're all by yourself, I mean, I'm sure he's just thinking of things. I'm sure he's thinking of conversations, of of moments that he's lived. And he says, I have a clear conscience. And he says, and I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Now, I don't want you to miss this, okay? I don't want you to miss the power of praying for something or someone night and day. Here's Paul. He has walked with Timothy He has laid hands on Timothy to raise him up as the elders gathered around Timothy with the Apostle Paul and they laid hands and prayed on him and they raised him up. And he says, and I know that that it was the faith of your grandmother, the faith of your mother, and now it's in you. Here's the thing. If you're a follower of Jesus, I don't want you to miss this. You are a follower of Jesus today because somebody prayed you into the family of God. There was somebody maybe that you didn't even know There was somebody that maybe you weren't even that close to, but it may have been a parent, a sibling, it may have been a spouse. Right now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, know that there is somebody that is praying your way into the kingdom of God that you are completely unaware of right now. And it's easy, it's easy for us to give up on those prayers. It's easy for us to lose heart on those prayers when we don't see something happen. And Paul says, no, no, I constantly Thank God for you. I constantly remember you in my prayers. And and so maybe one of the things as we start this new year that you need to recommit yourself to is to not give up on that prayer. It may be a prayer for somebody's salvation. It may be a prayer for healing. It may be a prayer for, for a dream that God has placed in your heart for something that you just felt like as a kid or as a college student that God had called you to. And you need to not give up on that prayer. And maybe for you, what you're moving into in 2024, the way that you're winning at life is saying, I'm not going to give up on that prayer. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen. And I don't know what it's going to take for it to happen. But I am not going to give up on that prayer. And he says that prayer then got answered, not only through the relationship that Paul has with Timothy, but the relationship that Paul had, or that Timothy had with his mom and with his grandmother. And, And what we're seeing here is one of the most beautiful and amazing pictures of the power of intergenerational relationships, okay? We talk about this all the time at the church. And this is one of the things I love about our church is that we are striving to make sure that if if you're younger, we want you connected to somebody that's older. If you're a brand new follower of Jesus, we want you connected to someone that's further along in their relationship with Jesus. Why? Because we need the whole body. We don't just need people at our same stage of faith or our same stage of life. We need people who know something we don't. We need people that we can bring along and mentor up. And so Paul says, I see the faith in you that was in your grandmother and in your mom. I see it's in you. And he says, I thank God for that. And one of the things, as we think about as a church, we say this over and over, that we want to be a church that is irresistible not only to our next-door neighbors, but also to the next generation. 
Why? Because if our church is not irresistible to the next generation, then we are one generation away from our church just simply coasting off the scene. And this is one of the things that was so great watching the Christmas Carol unfold over this past season because it was amazing to watch the relationships that happened and the conversations and friendships that developed between teenagers and college students with people in their 50s and 60s. And even watching a few of my kids that were in the, the production and just and hearing them talk about people they were hanging out with. You know, people, people that are 40 years older than them. And talking about funny stories and they were laughing together. That's the power of intergenerational relationships. That's the power of how God works between those. And so Paul says, I thank God. Now here, don't miss this. Because your faith as a parent and grandparent has the power to transform and change your entire family tree. Let me say that again. Your faith as a grandparent and a parent has the power to transform and change your entire family tree. And so Paul says, I thank God that it happened. Now, how does that happen? It happens through the power of God. That's what Paul says. He starts off, he says, I, I'm a slave to God. I, I, I thank God. All of this happens through God, and it happens through the power of our prayers. And finally, he says, therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. And so Paul says, Timothy, okay, so you have this faith. He says, I'm praying for you. I'm thinking of you day and night. I'm crying out to God for you. You have this faith that was passed on to you from your mother and your grandmother and me. You have this group of people who laid hands on you. So he says, therefore, so because of all of these things, Timothy, I want you to rekindle the gift of God. Now, he doesn't tell us what that gift is. And we know throughout the New Testament that every follower of Jesus is empowered and given gifts by the Holy Spirit. Things like showing mercy and hospitality and leadership and evangelism and generosity and and teaching and, and so many other things that are listed throughout the New Testament. And he says, to rekindle the gift. And he says, don't sit on the sideline with what God has given to you. If God has given you a gift of whatever it is, then rekindle it, grow in it, push into it. And so as we move into this new year, part of it is, is to say, okay, winning at life is rekindling the gift that God has given to me. Now, you may look at somebody else and go, you know what, but I would like their gift. I'd rather have their gift. Like I remember one time there was this dear lady at our church in Tucson, and she came to me and she says, Josh, I just want so badly to have the gift of being able to stand on stage in front of people and talk to people. And I said, but what gift do you have? And she told me, and she goes, I don't, I don't like this gift at all. And that happens. But here's the thing. As, as I talked with her and I said, yes, but God gave you your gift. And we need your gift. And the kingdom of God needs your gift. And the community around us needs your gift. And so Paul says to Timothy, rekindle the gift that God has given to you, which means as we move into this new year, part of our our growth and our transformation, we rekindle. We rekindle. We open up God's word. We show up at our community groups. We serve on a weekly basis. We come on a Sunday morning and gather together. Why? We rekindle the gifts that God has given to us. And, And one of the things I mentioned earlier about our next step this week 
If you sign up for the Next Step email, I'm going to send you eight questions that are going to help you to rekindle the gift that God has given to you this year. Why? Because we don't want to sit on the sideline. He says, Timothy, don't sit on the sideline with your gift. Don't hold back from your gift. And he says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of one of power, love, and sound judgment. Now, why does he say fear? If you remember in 1 Timothy, we know, and he says, you know, that Timothy had many tears. We know that Timothy's very timid, very anxious, very afraid. And as well, I mean, there's probably a part of Timothy that was trying to live up to the shadow of the Apostle Paul. There's probably a part of Timothy who says, man, like, I gotta, I gotta be like my mentor. I gotta be like Paul. And he says, Timothy, stop. Don't go after the Apostle Paul's gift. Go after Timothy's gift. And the same thing that God is saying right now is saying, don't go after somebody else's gift. Go after the gift that God has given to you and do it without fear. Don't hold back. Don't sit there and say, well, you know what? I don't know enough or I think I'm too old and I missed my chance or I'm too young and, and this. And, that. and he said, no, 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 no. Spirit of God did not give us fear. Rekindle the gift. Why? Because this is what we're going to see over this entire series is that God's power moves us from fear and shame to boldness and focus. God's power, the power of God, the Holy Spirit living in us and moving through us moves us from fear and shame to boldness and focus. If you live in a place where you have fear and shame, that is not from the Spirit of God. That is not from the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God moves us, the power of God moves us from fear and shame to boldness and focus. And as I mentioned, one of the things we want to help you with this week in the Next Step email and as you meet in community groups is to talk about how do we move from this place of fear and shame to this place of boldness and focus. Because one of the ways that we win at life, one of the ways that we get to the place where God wants us in 2024 and beyond is to rekindle the gift that God has given to you. So let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have given gifts to each and every one of us. And you have laid plans out for each and every one of us as we move into this new series, plans that bring us a hope, that bring us a future, and you want us to get to that place in 2024. And so, God, I pray that we would get to this place as couples, as families, as individuals, in community groups, as a church, that we don't miss what you have for us. That we don't live in this place of fear, that we don't live in this place of shame, but that we are able to move to this place of boldness and focus because we have rekindled the gifts that you have given to us. And so, God, I pray in this new season, I pray over everybody watching in all of these different places today that we would be able to get to the place in 2024 that you have set before us. A place of a hope and a future in your name.